This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by frequent guest and collaborator, Russ Derringer from Stratably. Welcome back, Russ. Hey, Kiri. Glad to be back. Can't believe it's already summer. Yes. We're here. We decided to get back together on the mic to do a mid-year check-in. If you've been a long-time listener of the show, you will remember some predictions episodes that me and Russ have done over the last couple of years doing predictions for 2022 and then 2023. This is not a full predictions episode, but a mid-year check-in on 2023. We thought we'd talk about what kind of topics are we seeing emerge as trends now we're sort of in the middle of the year what do we get asked about by brands and the media things that we're thinking about things that maybe you should be thinking about as a brand so a pretty open scope for discussion today and as usual once we got on the call we had lots of things to talk about and needed to hit record before we lost our train of thought (laughs) so we're talking about retail media network launches and we're going to get to that definitely something that's come up a lot for me. But Russ, maybe before we start, you have been on a tear this year with your live events, live virtual events that you've worked with other industry insiders on. So maybe before we jump into our topics today, can you share some of those topics that you've covered this year and what you've got going on the rest of the year? Yeah, certainly. So we launched what we call Stratably Live at the beginning of this year. And I wanted the format for Strategically Live to be fairly like efficient sessions. So I give all the speakers, and Kira, you've done several already, 15 to 20 minutes to cover a very sort of like narrowed topic in depth. So all of our sessions are really designed for intermediate to advanced e-commerce practitioners. And they're done, you know, again, in that 15, 20 minute time frame, And then we open it up for really good Q&A. It's just been really interesting. I mean, part of the reason why... I wanted to do these live events is there's just so much to cover in the e-commerce and digital world. And, you know, we can't do it on our own and there's great people and thought leaders and companies out there that can really help bring the community along. And so we partnered with a lot of different folks to just cover many different topics. And just to give you a sense of some of the most attended Strategy live sessions, because I think this is sort of indicative of what's interesting in the market. A couple of topics. One is all around measurement of performance of uh, retail media. So that could be looking at sort of different measurement models. We've covered Amazon Marketing Cloud from several different angles. Kiri, you and your colleague did one of those sessions. The AMC sessions have been some of our most popular sessions. It's a topic that a uh, few understand, few are aware of, but it's also an incredibly impactful tool. And so that's brought a lot of people, a lot of attendance to these sessions. The other one that's interesting is more of a foundational consideration all around product content, product detail page content. We've held several sessions on that. 
And it always gets really good attendance. And so that's a, something that's been around sort of forever, like in contrast to Amazon Marketing Cloud, that's, you know, more or less been here for about a year, year and a half. Content, you know, we've always been working on content and it continues to just be very top of mind and, you know, very challenging for consumer brands to get right. And so whenever we host sessions on content, we get really good attendance. Huh. That's really interesting hearing what is top of mind there. And we go, like you said, from something quite lofty and technical and really advanced by across a number of different attributes like Amazon Marketing Cloud. And then we're talking about product content as well, which it's not like it's easy. <laughs> We've got... <laughs> got a lot of clients at Acadia who would love to deploy more exciting, immersive content, but a million things get in the way, not least of which is justifying budget for it. And to me, that's the big issue between content and advertising is with advertising, for better or worse, we've got a very clear metric that measures return on investment. Not that we want to use that all the time for everything, but we can see, spend a dollar, we get five, for example. Whereas with content, there are some studies like from Profitero has done some studies on, okay, if you go from having no videos on a product page to one video, your traffic improves and conversion improves. But calculating what that's actually going to drive in terms of incremental sales is really hard. So I think that that is why we still have this content discussion is that proving the ROI and getting securing budget for it is still as difficult as it's ever been. I think, yeah, a couple of things I'd add. I think the other complicating factor with content is just the sheer number of retailers that brands care about doing content well has increased. And when you think about omnichannel retailers like Walmart, for example, they continue to change what they're looking for from a content perspective. So the target keeps moving for brands. So that makes it complicated. But to your point about the measurement piece on ads being very clear or clearer, while content, it's much more difficult to measure. I think that's very much true. And we've all sort of moved into this world where we expect everything to be super measurable. And if you can't measure it, then it's not worth investing in. We sort of have gotten away from like intuition and sort of thinking logically through some of this stuff. And I think that's a problem because it's not that content isn't impactful. It's just that our measurement capabilities around it have not caught up. And so I'm having a little bit of trouble articulating what I mean, but just because we can't measure something doesn't mean it. it's not worth doing. And so where I think some of the business judgment has to come in is, okay, well, what's the right amount? What's the right level of focus and investment around content, knowing that, yeah, we can't quite measure it as directly as advertising, but we know it's important. And that's where I think like leadership and just that business intuition really matters and can make a difference inside a company. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So speaking of retail media channels, and you mentioned there's a larger number of, than any of channels that brands want to optimize for. So this is something that's been on my radar is retail media network. And I guess marketplaces are tied somewhat to that, but retail media network launches in the US 
And it had always puzzled me why nobody had put together a timeline of this. You actually had put together a rough timeline last year, but I took that and I actually did it year by year, which Retail Media Networks launched in 2015, 2016, all the way through up until today. And I discovered why it was so tedious is because there are often several different launch dates where <laughs> a retailer might launch with an aggregator like Critio and then launch their own, or they might launch a managed service and then a self-serve. Anyway, the long and short is I got close to 60 retail media network launch dates, charted them all out, and over 50% of those launches happened in 2021 and 2022. And there's just a huge spike in the number that launched. So two potential readings into this. My initial reading is we reached peak retail media network, Gap closed theirs down, it's saturated, game's over. Like (laughs) there's only so many retail media networks that as a brand you can thoughtfully allocate to because there's such a huge drop-off in the traffic from an Amazon to a Walmart to a Target to like a, you know, I've got on here Office Depot and Piggly Wiggly. Like how much time and attention can you really give those second and third tier retail partners? So that's one reading. I've shared this with a few other people in the industry and I got a very different response, which is, wow, COVID was really a catalyst for driving this incredible like opportunity for brands and retailers to reach customers. So that was interesting. I'll admit completely different take than what I had. What do you think, Russ? Well, when I look at that image, and I think you'll include it in the show notes, you could almost, you know, overlay e-commerce year over year growth. And there would just be like a one year delay, you know, in terms of it matching almost perfectly. But I think the, you know, 60 or so different retail media networks, the reality is, and I've been doing research on this topic for a while now, most consumer brands are only going to be working on three to four to five retail media networks in any real meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I think if you're new to the industry and you see 60 different retail media networks, you think like, well, how could we possibly you know, execute on all of these? And the answer is like, well, you're probably not. You're going right. to be, you know, execute on Amazon, Walmart Connect, Target Roundel, Instacart, and maybe a couple more depending on the category that you're in. I've always said that it's a lot easier to sort of put out a press release and like technically launch a retail media network versus making it a real significant business. You mentioned the point about being saturated. I think it's saturated in the sense of what's the unique value proposition for the 61st retail media network? Like, how are they going to stand out? They're not going to be able to compete most likely from a scale or a traffic perspective. Probably the only way they can really stand out is through like really transparent reporting and measurement. And I think whoever sort of offers the best measurement that gives the advertiser the most conviction that of how their dollar is transforming into two or three or four dollars, you know, that's one way. I don't know if that's a durable advantage, but, you know, that's one way I think to compete beyond just scale and traffic. 
This podcast is brought to you by Acadia, a trusted partner for challenger brands who are looking to make the best use of every marketing dollar, whether that is through SEO, performance media, Amazon and retail media, analytics, or organic social. To learn more, visit acadia.io. That's A-C-A-D-I-A dot I-O. I'm really glad we're talking about this because there is a less rosy perspective I could throw in here, which is some of these retailers have no real intent to build up a substantial digital retail media business beyond it being a stick for trade negotiations. And a lot of these retailers that launched in 2021 and 2022, and I'll look at a way to share this data too, so they launched through the aggregators like Critio and Citrusad. And if you think about the timeline there, Citrusad was acquired by Publicis 2022, was it? Yeah. And so there's a real land grab happening between those two direct competitors of, well, to me, it seems like, land grab between those two to see how many retailers they could sign up. And occasionally a retailer will work with both. But a lot of the times, especially with these like regional retailers, they've signed up with a Citrus ad, do the press release. Yes, we've launched a retail media network where, you know, modern and going to be accruing more profitable revenue through this offering. But in reality, I'm just picking up on something that you mentioned, how substantial part of the business is that to that retailer? And secondly, I hear from some brands that some retailers are, you know, requiring retail media spend as part of trade negotiations and whatever they're picking up there is really not because of great reporting, great incremental revenue that they're able to drive, great access to a particular type of shopper, all of these things that you look at the tables of, you know, how to choose which retail media network to invest in. All of those criteria are irrelevant in some of these situations because the retailer is just requiring that as a cost of doing business that you contribute X percent to fund the retail media network. Right. Did you get me on a bad day? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Okay, you know, there is a, you know, I think when you're talking about omnichannel retailers in particular, it does become a more complex measurement calculation beyond just, you know, you invest in a sponsored product and it generated this amount of sales. You also have to be thinking about with the omnichannel retailer, well, what else did we get as a result of our investment? What's the big full picture reality with the given retailer? Did we get expanded store distribution? Did we get more items inside the store? If you're negotiating retail media as a part of, let's say, a joint business plan, those are real dollars. It's just they're not going to get captured with a typical return on ad spend type calculation. And so there is a real commercial reality to retail media that we can't lose sight of. And so it's either a stick. You know, I think you laid out the case pretty well there. And I think that's pretty that's reality. But on the sort of like another angle of that is that, okay, let's, you know, we might not see the, you know, clearest positive performance of online sales when we spend with this retailer. But when we look at the full picture and 
if we put a million bucks in and we get, you know, 25% more stores now that we can sell into for that, right. that's a great outcome for our business. Yes. You know, and it's a totally different, you know, way of thinking about it. And it's also different than where retail media really started. I mean, in reality was with Amazon and Amazon didn't really have that component, you know, to it. So I think that's just another dimension when we talk about omnichannel retailers and how retail media fits into it. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, looking at the total return on ad spend, I guess, from a business standpoint, that what does that relationship with the retailer look like and footprint coverage, things like that. Good point. All right. So you've got a few things on your list, Russ, of topics that you're being asked about most frequently, things that you think might be brands may need to pay a bit more close attention to. What would you like to discuss next? I think one of the most interesting ones, I was always sort of surprised at this one, but just the ongoing sort of debate. I even hesitate to bring this up because I feel like we've talked about this topic a lot, but this is this ongoing debate or just lack of awareness around digital and physical channels and the growth coming from each of those mediums. And so I've tried to publish about this several times sort of in different ways, but when I talk to brands, they're oftentimes very surprised to hear me say stats and it depends on the retailer, but Broad strokes, about 50% of the dollar growth over the next five years is going to come from digital channels and 50% or so is going to come from physical channel. And when I do, when I talk about that stat, there is a lot of pushback and I sort of get it, right? Because digital penetration is oftentimes measured in the teens. I mean, again, it's going to depend on the retailer. But with relatively conservative assumptions around digital penetration increasing maybe 100 basis points a year, when you actually dig in and do the math, that's what it amounts to, that 50-50 split. And I think that's why Omnichannel is one reason why Omnichannel is so important, but it's sort of a shocking statistic to a lot of consumer brands that I think are almost inundated a little bit with headlines around this, like consumers returning to stores and look at how bad digital is doing. And it's not, you know, it's returning to the trend line that it was on. But my point is like, even on that trend line, it's going to contribute this significant amount of dollar growth. So this is another reason why we have to continue to pay attention to it. But I don't know, that's just been something that's interesting. It's been coming up a lot in 2023, which I'm, again, I'm sort of surprised that they were still sort of talking about that here this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I just made a note about cognitive biases and one of them is this your biases being reinforced by whatever you can find evidence to support whatever belief you have. And it seems like there is a little bit of doubling down on both sides. <laughs> the return to stores versus the growth of digital and the truth really literally, as you said, 50-50 lies in the middle. Exactly. And I mean, look, there has been a lot of volatility. I mean, that's an understatement the last several years, right? Where digital, you know, spiked. And then as those comps became more difficult, stores seem to do really well. But when you kind of just cut through all of that and just apply sort of, like I said, conservative assumptions around digital penetration, 
I mean, it is very much a 50-50 outlook, you know, from here in terms of both physical and digital channels. And yeah, it's just, I think it's useful to dive into the math around it and sort of do that analysis for your own, whatever portfolio of accounts that a brand does business with, just do it for your portfolio and see where the numbers shake out and do a couple scenarios, you know, like, you know, good case physical stores or, you know, one scenario, good case digital channel as another scenario. And, and just start to really, I think, dive into that and understand those dynamics and understand what assumptions would result in, you know, like a 50-50 split. So another topic that we both had on our list of notes to talk about was AI. And I'd love to hear what your perspective is here. Mine is that we're still talking about how to use AI to be more productive, more creative, like write your resume for you or whatever. But we're not yet talking about how does a brand get indexed in generative AI? And it's particularly top of mind for me with Instacart launching an AI feature and Amazon, I don't think they've publicly announced this, so there's been some rumors about them working on an AI interface for shopping on Amazon. So this whole area I think is a complete sleeper. We're doing looking into it a little bit more. Like if you're a coffee brand, how do you end up indexing when someone asks for give me recommendations for a dark roast, single origin coffee bean? I mean, it's so, what's the word? Game changing. <laughs> so disruptive, yeah. right? That I think few really understand that. But I think if you were to be placing any bets, you know, five years out or, I mean, it could be way sooner, right? I mean, AI has sort of surprised all of us in the speed. So maybe we're talking a couple of years out. It wasn't on our predictions list at the start of the year. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we don't have to bring that up, Carrie. We don't have to tell everyone we missed that one. But no, I think that is the really interesting possible change that is coming. And so much has been written about Google's business model being disrupted, search business model being disruptive. And it's like, well, if that's if their search model is disrupted, then what does that mean for Amazon as an example? And so I sort of credit Instacart for trying this and trying something different and moving pretty quickly to, you know, implement something like this. But yeah, I think that is a huge question is how do we get indexed? How do we become, you know, the answer, so to speak, instead of being part of the options, how do we become the answer? I think that's sort of the core goal ultimately with AI. It also kind of begs the question, like Google CEO talked about, you know, at the end of the day, consumers or users, they want options, they want information, they want options, they want to be able to figure out what's best for them. I'm paraphrasing. But do they or do they just want the answer? I mean, the answer seems more convenient. <laughs> and convenience ultimately really attracts users. <laughs> and so maybe they don't want options, maybe they just want an answer. And so what does Amazon's world look like when you type in a prompt or I guess a question, and it just returns the answer? That's hard to sort of predict what that future looks like. Yeah, there's no way that like search optimization on every channel that we optimize for now, whether that's Google or Amazon, is going to be completely different in 12 months than it is today. There's the prediction. There's the prediction. All right. What? Tell me another thing that you're thinking about. Related to kind of my first one around just digital and physical channels, I think the pendulum has swung too far on it being day two 
at Amazon. Day two, meaning people reacting to the layoffs there, people reacting to the absolute growth rates coming down at Amazon, Amazon losing share to all of these omni-channel retailers that have bigger digital businesses than they did a couple of years ago. I think all of that is overblown. And I think Amazon has given up very little from a competitive positioning standpoint on the retail side or the retail media side. And when, again, you sort of dig into the analysis and you think about its growth and what it's grown into, its GMV is double what it was just a couple of years ago. It's become the largest retailer in the US based on our estimates. So larger than even Walmart when you include its marketplace. When you dig into that analysis and you say, okay, yeah, it's absolutely growth has come down and it's still two to three times faster than its main rivals. And therefore it remains the best opportunity for growth in a relatively anemic environment. Macro backdrop is just tougher to find growth nowadays. And so I think all of the talk about like Amazon losing ground, they've lost their way, et cetera, et cetera. I just think it's very much overblown. And I think a lot, when I talk to a lot of VPs of e-commerce, they sort of describe their organizations as feeling like it's day two at Amazon and we got to look elsewhere. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it to me. Yeah, super interesting. I had Brian Walker from Bloomreach on the podcast a couple of months ago, and that was, you know, his pitch was that Amazon's lost its way narrative. And there's definitely some areas where they have sort of dropped the ball a bit around delivery times and just the ongoing. I think ultimately what you're referring to is sort of wishful thinking from a lot of brands that... <laughs> That Amazon will be challenged and a new, more benevolent dictator will rise up and fill the void. But who is the next in line? It's Walmart. And they're not exact, they're not known for that either. It is very interesting. I think it's, we all want to see a little bit more competition and have for a long time. And so any sort of chink in the armor there is extrapolated quite a lot, but yeah, it is interesting. I agree with you. I don't think we're about to see the end of Amazon anytime soon. And certainly when you're thinking about where to allocate funds for advertising and content and where improving that customer experience and things like that, it's still the number one place to spend the majority of your time and effort is on Amazon. Totally. It has that gravitational pull, I call it. When I talk to any agency or SaaS provider or even you know large consumer brand, they just say there's so much going on there, so much innovation, so much opportunity that it just pulls in all their resources, essentially. And that hasn't really changed all that much in the last several years. I think everyone's glad, to your point, that you know, the e-commerce world is a little bit more diverse than it was pre-pandemic. And that's a positive thing. And this is not to diminish the success that several of Amazon's peers have had in any way. You know, the big but is that Amazon is as strong as ever. And they're interesting, right? Because they're sort of the exception to the rule with quote unquote omni-channel in the sense of, okay, if we want to reach today's shopper, you know, we want to reach them wherever they want to be, wherever they want to buy, whenever they want to buy, and including in stores. And Amazon's, you know, they've attempted a little bit with physical stores. They obviously have own Whole Foods. They've kind of tested out, you know, trial, you know, different physical store formats. 
but they largely have been ineffective, completely ineffective from a physical store format. So they're like the exception to the omni-channel rule. They're like, oh, you actually don't need <laughs> stores to become the largest retailer in the U.S. market. Kind of interesting, kind of shocking. Hmm, totally. I have just one more that I'll share, which is non-endemic Amazon advertising. And I think when I say non-endemic, I'm talking about car manufacturers, insurance providers, colleges. I saw an ad for GoDaddy recently for domains on Amazon DSP. And this is flown onto the radar, but I've wrote about it last year after I went to Amazon Unboxed, which is their advertising conference. And a lot of the big examples that they shared about DSP features and what was coming and contextual advertising and things like that. The big examples that they shared were from Carnival Cruises and other non-endemic brands. And to me, that subtext was Amazon's really going after non-endemic brands as a next avenue for further growing advertising revenue, which is incredibly profitable. I believe that Benedict Evans, I believe, did this comparison of profitability between AWS and Amazon advertising, and it's more profitable than AWS even. Like Amazon wants to grow that line of business aggressively. And once you've, I don't believe that they have capped out of endemic brands in the least, there's still a long ways to go, but in parallel, they're building out non-endemic advertiser book. So what does that mean if you're an endemic advertiser, which is 99% of the people listening to this show, is there will be more competition for you, basically, with the Amazon DSP, because those non-endemic brands are going to be trying to bid on the, you know, there's only a certain amount of real estate on amazon.com and on the app and on these third-party sites. It's, you know, essentially going to drive up competition there on that platform. But I think this is a sleeper of a topic in general, and I'd certainly plan to dig into it a little bit more in 2023. I think it's a huge opportunity if you're a solution provider agency in the space helping endemic brands with Amazon advertising, because you're just going to have such an advantage over another agency that's unfamiliar with Amazon's data and targeting capabilities. So I think that's a big tailwind towards making non-endemic advertising a reality is you're going to have that other push. But I completely agree. I think Amazon advertising is 100% focused on winning non-endemics. And the faster they can sort of demonstrate our performance compared to the alternatives, you know, the better. I think that's sort of still, you know, that's not a foregone conclusion. So I think they have to really demonstrate that. But if you think about the growth opportunity for Amazon advertising, that's what can keep it growing in the 20, 30% range for the next several years, I think. So they're going to be, or they are very much focused on winning that part of the digital ad market. Yep. All right. Any parting shots from you, Ross? Anything else you wanted to cover? No, I think that's it. I'm looking forward to the end of the year segment when we get to recount. We'll, we'll have to recount <laughs> our 2023 predictions and then our mid-year sort of thoughts from today. 
Well, I didn't call this predictions, so I think we're off the hook there. It's it's just what we're seeing as trends. But yeah, I mean, if you want to put these out there, we can. But <laughs> twenty twenty three has really thrown a few new things our way. So. I'm not so sure about our hit rate in 2023. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so just before you go, Russ, what is a topic coming up with your Stratably Live that you want to shout out to the audience to sign up for? Thank you. We have several good sessions coming up. We're going to be covering, I'll just kind of go through the next couple. We're going to be covering sort of three leading edge Amazon advertising tactics, more of a tactical session. Then we're going to be talking all about video investments and just like video generally on Amazon, Walmart and Target and how to create it and kind of scale and generate an ROI. And then Kiri, we're up together and we're going to be talking about just brand content, best practices around that sort of, you guys have developed this swipe file and have done a lot of thinking around that. So just a variety of good topics. And if anyone's interested that's listening, you can go to stratably.com slash events and they're all listed there as are the replays from prior sessions. Awesome. Great. Thanks for coming on the show again, Russ. Always great to chat with you. Thanks for having me, Kiri. 